with good weather is, uh, is, is great and we get lovely tan lines and we get all those things but uh, I don't know if your house is anything like mine uh, there's one downside of good weather flies how annoying has anybody else got a host of flies that's moved into their house during the good weather they just move in they just don't even ask they just move into the house and um, I've seen me at night in the bedroom I can't go to sleep because I hear a fly buzzing so I'm literally up at night with, like, you know, the slipper or anything, and I have to get, yeah, exterminate that fly. But anyway, flies, they're annoying, right? I, now, I don't know about you. Um, again, I'd love to get a show of hands. Is anybody, what, what kind of, we should get a wee tip section here. What do, we, what do we do to get rid of the flies? I'm sure some of you have done the whole, do you know the big, ugly, sticky thing that yeah, hangs from the ceiling? Oh, they are annoying. Does anybody else want to take them down again? And they've got an armful of flies stuck to their sleeve and uh, you need a can of cellulose thinners to get it off. It's that bad. Or maybe you've, uh, maybe you've tried the wee, the wee sticky pads. You know, they're lovely. They're like, they have wee flower on them and all. But actually, they're, they mean death to the fly. We think some gives out some sort of scent. Or maybe you've done the magic, have you done the magic pen? You know, you draw around the window frame. With this pen, you can't see, and apparently it's supposed to, I don't know where it kills them or deters them. I don't know, right? But we, we've tried them all. A heads up, none of them really work. Uh, they're okay, but they're not great. But anyway, this year we decided we'd try something different. We decided we'd go all out, and we'd get one of, you know, the blue light jobs? You know, the, 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 the neon light things? And we thought, we'll get one of them. Stick it on. See, they're great. Um, heads up again. Unless you have about 50 of them dotted around the kitchen, I don't think it's any use. But anyway, we decided we'd get one. You know where it's the, the, there's this blue light that, or this light that apparently flies are going to be drawn to, and they're drawn to this blue light, and then they reach the light, and they go, end of the game. Well, it has worked definitely for some, because I'll be honest, I've been sitting in the house, and it's scared the light clean out of me. This thing, all of a sudden, in the silence, the big click, and like, you're like, so if you want to try it, give it a go. But, um, they do work to a certain extent. But what's the, what's the point of those blue light things? The light, in some, for some way, draws this fly in. Right? There's, a, there's a drawing power that this light has. Now, uh, we're, we're not going to be talking about flies this morning, but what we are going to be looking at in this passage is, this, is a similar type of drawing power. It's, it's not a drawing power that leads to destruction like the flies, but it's a drawing power that leads to eternal life. And it's God's drawing power as he draws sinners to Jesus. Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at here in John chapter 6. And if, please, if, if you've had your Bible open, please keep your Bible open and, uh, and follow along as we sort of uh, work our way through some of these verses. So over the last two weeks, we've been in John or chapter 6 and... Uh, at this point, Jesus has got a huge following with him. He's got a, his likes and his followers are going through the roof. He's this huge mass of people following him. Um, he has done this miracle of feeding the 5,000 or the 25,000 with uh, bread. So he's created bread out of practically nothing in front of their eyes. Um, they're amazed by this. And then last week, we've seen Jesus challenging them on that. Now, why are you really following me? Are you just following me because of what I can give for you or what I perform in front of you? Or are you following me because of me? Um, and we were challenged by that as well. Why, do, why are we really following Jesus? And then um, John last week talked about how we can have this assurance 
the, the, the glorious assurance that we have when Jesus says that, that everyone who comes, all who comes to me, all who believe in me, I will not cast out or I will never cast out. And that gives us such assurance that when we come to Jesus for salvation, he will never say no and he will never cast us out. So this morning, we're going to continue this on, this long chapter uh, in chapter 6. It's a long dialogue that Jesus has with these crowds of people. And we're going to continue on looking at this. And a lot of the verses that Samuel read this morning um, is really Jesus continuing to flesh out this idea of him being the bread of life. And he continues to say, unless you eat of my flesh, and he even goes a step further in this week's text and says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot have eternal life. Now, the people are getting increasingly um, confused and actually annoyed and irate over what he is saying. Uh, in the verse 41, it tells us that they started grumbling amongst each other. Um, in verse 60, it says that they say it's a hard saying. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And that just doesn't mean that it's just hard to understand. But what they're saying is this is a harsh saying. This is an offensive saying. They're annoyed at this point because Jesus is saying, not, not, so much, not offended so much in the fact that he says that um, he's asking them to eat of his flesh, but it's more the fact that he says that he is the bread that has come from heaven. That's offended them because they know who's in heaven. And so for Jesus to say that, he's claiming to be God. And this is offensive to them. But here's this group of people, and they have literally watched the Son of God performing this unreal miracle in front of their eyes. Right? They've ate off the produce of that miracle. They've also sat under his direct teaching. So they've sat under the teaching of the Son of God, of God the Son. And if there's going to be good teaching, that's where it's going to be at. Right? And so they've sat under this. And yet, whenever we get to the end of our chapter 6, we see that um, Jesus is literally left with the 12. He's pretty much left with the 12 disciples, and everyone else is, wanders off. Everyone else leaves him and turns away from him. And it kind of begs the question at this point, how? How could this possibly be? How could you sit under the teaching of Jesus, how could you watch a miracle right in front of your eyes and still not get it? Now, I don't know if you've been in those positions as well. Maybe you've been um, at a service or an event, Christian event, and the speaker has, as he's been speaking, you're thinking, oh my goodness, like that is an unreal, like, exposition of the gospel. I mean, he has explained that so well and so concisely and so clearly. And maybe you've even brought a non-Christian friend with you and you're thinking in your mind, you're like, you don't even want to like look at them because you're thinking they're bound to be convicted at this point. I mean, if they don't get saved today, they will never get saved because that was so clear. And But then how many times do, they, do you just walk out with them and, and it looks like they're completely unmoved? You're like, how could that be? Well, I believe this text here gives us um, some answers to this. And so if you have your Bible open, look at verses, we want to read verses 43 and 44. So Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me 
unless the Father who sent him draws him. So here we have this drawing power introduced, this idea of God drawing people to himself introduced. And so it's this drawing power that we want to have a look at this morning. What does it mean that God draws people to Jesus? And what is the impact of that? And so what I want to do is I want to just break it down into sort of three uh, three headings. So we're going to break it down into three sections. The first one, we're going to look at the necessity of God's drawing. And then we're going to look at the confidence of God in God's drawing, so the confidence we have in God's drawing. And then we're going to look at the irresistibility of God's drawing. So let's look at the necessity of this drawing power, the necessity of God's drawing. Now, Jesus states this same truth a, a few different times in this chapter. But we're going to start with the one that we've just read. It says, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So here's Jesus saying to these people, Listen, don't grumble amongst yourselves. There's no point grumbling amongst yourselves. The reason you don't get it, the reason you're not understanding what I am saying here, is because it's not because of any lack of intellect with you. Here's why. It's because the only way that you can understand in a spiritual sense what I'm saying to you is if God enlightens your eyes, if God opens your eyes and enlightens your mind to understand it, if God draws you to himself. It has to start with God here, not you. And so the reason you're not getting it is because God needs to draw you. He said, no amount of trying on your behalf, no amount of trying on your behalf to grasp the truths that I am saying here will help you to get it, will bring you to a point where you understand it is God who draws. It's impossible for someone to come to faith in Jesus unless God draws them. It's impossible for them to do that. We know that God teaches that we are, we're dead in our sins, Right? So we're dead, spiritually dead. So a dead person can do nothing. They need somebody external from them to bring life to them. And so God must draw them. And so Jesus explained here, the reason you don't understand is because God is, hasn't drawn you. And we can, for us, we can use the cleverest explanations. And I think sometimes that we we can get to a point of real frustration whenever we're witnessing the people and we're like, oh, I'm like, I'm almost like I'm tired of saying this to you. Like, and what more can I do to help you to get this? I've explained it in 50 different ways and you're still not getting it. Jesus is saying here we need a rest because he needs to do the drawing. Right? So we can use the cleverest explanations of the gospel, but they are worthless, completely worthless without God drawing people to himself. So God's drawing here is necessary for salvation. Then number two, the confidence that we have in God's drawing. Now for this, we're going to look, um, just go further back up the chapter, because God, uh, Jesus explains the same truth in a few different ways in this passage, but it's the same thing, he's, he's, same truth that he's trying to teach here. So look at verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Now, this verse has real certainty in it, hasn't it? He's not saying here, all that the Father gives to me, well, there's a percentage of them that will come depending on X, Y, and Z. 
No, he just simply says it in one line. Every single person who the Father gives to me, they will come to me. They will come to salvation. God's drawing power will always result in salvation. It will always result in salvation. God doesn't begin this process of drawing and sort of at the same time hoping that they will sort of make a good decision and come to Him. God's not dependent on our good decision-making. You and I are believers today because God has chosen to give you as a gift to Jesus. That's what He's saying here, all that the Father gives to me. If you're a believer, you are God's gift to Jesus, and God has given you to Him Surely it would be completely impossible um, for Jesus to say a statement like this with such unwavering confidence if any of it depended on our good decision-making. If salvation depended even a little bit on us, then there's no way that Jesus could say a statement like this with such confidence. Let me give you an example to help illustrate this. So if someone rang me up in work, and um, they lived in Rathbury Island, and they wanted to order something from my work, like a set of dumbbells or something. Um, by the way, balance leisure uh, for all your fitness needs. By the way, right? Um, so if they rang up and said, I want a set of dumbbells, they're in Rathbury Island, and they say, if I order them right now and pay you for them now, would I be able to have them by, by 6 o'clock this evening? So I could say to them, oh, well, I live, well, yeah, well, I live in just outside Ralph Island, and so I can bring them home with me. There's no problem. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I can get them to you, yeah. Now, can I say with complete confidence, yes, I will get them to you before six? Well, I can't, because um, I can't be 100% sure, because who knows what could happen. I could be late out of work. Um, I could get caught up in a traffic jam. Uh, I might, the van or the car could break down. Um, it could be any number of factors that could affect me getting it there by six. So what, the, the best that I could say would be, do you know what? I, I live close to you. I'm normally home maybe around that time, and there's every chance that I'll get it to you before six. Um, so yes, I will get it to you before six, provided there's no traffic jam, the van doesn't break down, blah, 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 blah. But I can't just say, yes, I'll have it to you before six. And see, it's the same here. Jesus can't say, all that the Father gives me will come to me if there was also that depended a bit on us. Because Jesus would have to say, yes, they will come to you. Now, it depends if they go down this path in their life or if they decide this and if they decide that. He's saying it with confidence here. D.A. Carson says it like this. He says, Jesus' confidence does not rest in the potential for positive response amongst well-meaning people. Far from it. His confidence is in his Father to bring to pass the Father's redemptive purposes. So, leading on from this then, we may ask the question, well then, who is it that God gives to Jesus? Who does he give? Well, we don't know. I don't know, and you don't know. But here's what I do know. God knows. God knows. He knows whom he will draw to Jesus. How do I know this? Well, 
multiple passages we can go to in Scripture of this, but let's go to one that's really clear in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. So if you have your Bible, um, you open it at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's just read. We're going to read two uh, different passages. This is the first one. Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 4 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. So even as he chose us, as God chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundations of the world. There's another passage in Revelation 13. And uh, Revelation 13 um, and verse 8. Now, here uh, the passage is speaking about this, uh, the end times, and speaking about this final beast. Um, and it's saying, All who dwell on earth will worship it, will worship this beast. But then Jesus clarifies who this is that will be worshiping and who won't be worshiping him. So, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, I, I know, and I've probably done it as well, that, you know, we've done this thing where somebody comes to faith in Jesus, you're like, oh, it's so good, and um, now, now your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, technically, that's not really correct because their name was always written in the Lamb's book of life. God's not sitting in heaven with a pen adding to this book as people come to faith. They come to faith because their name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. This is something that, is, as the passage tells us, that God has written before the foundations of the world. So God knows who's going to come to Jesus. God knows who he's going to draw to Jesus. He knows whom he's going to set his drawing power on, and he knows who will respond to that call. Now, I know at this point that I know that this raises so many questions in our head, right? And if you're anything like me, there'll be questions bouncing off in your head all the time about stuff like this. Maybe questions like, right, well, okay, so what you're saying is that God has chosen us, God draws us to Jesus, and whoever he draws will come to him. So do I have no part to play in this? Do I have no part at all to play in my salvation? What about our free will? Are we just programmed as robots? Has God just pre-programmed us as robots to, to come to him? And do I have nothing to say in this? Or maybe you're asking the other question, which is so personal to us, and maybe even more personal to you, it says, where you say, well, why doesn't God choose everyone? Why doesn't God, why does God choose some people and not other people? And I know there's maybe that and a myriad of other questions that are in your mind at this point. But we're going to get to some of those in just a second. But for now, can we just stop for a minute and glory in the, the, this doctrine? Can we just glory for just a minute in the truth of this doctrine? No matter how far lost someone appears to be or someone is, no matter how um, unrealistic it seems that someone you know or someone you love will come to faith in Jesus, for you it may just seem like, almost like you've been, maybe you've been praying for them for years and you're just like, 
Do you know what? I'm at the point now where they're, they're showing zero signs of coming to faith. There is no point. We need to just pull the plug in this. They are too far gone. No matter how far gone someone is, if God chooses to set his drawing power on them, you can be assured that they will come to Jesus. If God has chosen to set his drawing power on him, his drawing power always results positively in salvation. And so we can take comfort in this. No one is too far lost for God. No one is too far lost for God. So glory in this truth. Take comfort in this truth. Like me, as I'm praying for people I love to come to faith in Jesus. Take comfort in God's drawing power. But then what about thirdly, the irresistibility of God's drawing power? And this is where we want to touch on some of those questions, maybe that are in your mind or maybe they're in my mind. Maybe questions like, what, what, about, what about free will here? Do we, do we not have some form of free will? Do we, can we not, do we not choose God? Surely this, 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 we've got our free will here. We're not just robots. Well, here's what I believe, and this is a much debated topic, obviously. Um, where our minds struggle is, we struggle to believe in um, God choosing us before the foundations of the world, and also us having a free will to choose him because they both just seem to conflict. Where I sit, I believe in both. And I actually believe that both can coexist. Now, why do I believe in both? I believe in both because I believe both are taught in Scripture. Do I fully understand how they coexist? No. Do I fully believe in both of them? Yes, simply because I see them taught in Scripture. So let me explain this. Um, as I've, we've been seeing, I believe that God has chosen us, right? I believe that God has chosen us from the foundations of the world. I believe 100% in the election of God and God's sovereignty in saving sinners. So I believe that God has chosen us before the foundations of the world. Um, I believe that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundations of the world. I believe that it is Him who illuminates our mind, who opens our eyes to see, who breathes life into us, who regenerates us. I believe that 100%. And I also believe that um, part of that drawing process involves us consciously deciding to accept the call of God and believe in Jesus. Now, I, I believe we can see this in our text. So, back over in John 6, uh, and look at verse 28. Now, we looked at verse 28 last week. It was part of our text last week. But you remember this question that the people put to Jesus? They said, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them. Now, Jesus didn't say at this point, well, nothing. Nothing, because there's nothing you can do. It's all about me. So, just you just need to sit back and just wait for it to happen. Just wait for my salvation to come rushing into your life and it'll just happen. So just sit back and wait. Well, he doesn't say that, does he? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Then over in verse 35, Jesus is talking to them again. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
And so you have some form of there's some form of us coming to Jesus, some form of us having to um, consciously believe in him and decide to believe in him. And so how do these things marry together? Well, I don't have all the answers. And I'll be honest because I don't fully understand it. Now, because I don't fully understand it does not mean I don't believe in it. I believe in it because it's written in Scripture by a God who is infinitely more intelligent than I am. But here's how my finite brain puts these things together. Um, we start off at the start looking at this idea of us getting this, you know, thing for the flies. And which, yeah, anyway, not much use. But think for the flies. So what, what happens is that fly is, is, is drawn in. Now, I don't know if, you, if you've ever seen, um, that's a while back, because some of you older people remember A Bug's Life. I <laughs> know it's crazy that that's an older movie. Right, A Bug's Life, Pixar movie, and there's a, one of the scenes in it where um, you see it through the flies, and of course there's this blue light hanging, and uh, one of the flies kind of catches sight of it, and he's like, ooh, ooh, and the other fly's like, don't do it! Don't do it! No, no! And, uh, and, and the other fly says, oh, I can't help it, it's so beautiful! Right? So he just can't help it. Well, I, I think um, God's drawing sinners to Jesus is a bit, in some ways, like this. Um, some theologians will put a name in this, and they'll call it irresistible grace. It's where God's grace is so beautiful that we can't resist it. It's so beautiful we can't resist it. And we wouldn't want to resist it whenever God opens our eyes to see his grace. I think our text again speaks into this. So over in verse 67, right at the end. Right, so now uh, it says, the, the verse before it says, many of his disciples turned, disciples turned away from him. They couldn't get it anymore. But then look at verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, at this point now, the disciples' eyes have been opened. Right? God is very obviously drawing them. And they now see it, and they're like, what? Almost like, you're asking us, are we going to turn away as well? Not after what we, our eyes have just seen. Not after what our minds have been enlightened to. You're asking, are we going to turn away? No. That would be ridiculous to turn away. Where else would we even go to have something like this that you've just shown us? We believe in you now. We see it. Those other guys, they didn't believe in you. They didn't see this. But you've opened our minds to see this. And now that we've seen it, we're like, of course we're going to go with you. Of course we're not going to turn away from you. So it's almost like they had a choice in there, but it was almost like it was a no-brainer. There was only one choice they were ever going to make in that moment, and that was to follow Jesus. Let me give you another example of this um, that's happened in our house. A few years back, we got um, our first wee puppy, wee Maggie, and uh, it was really for Georgia more than anybody. Right, because it was George's birthday, but it's obviously a family dog. But it was really for George at that point. And George had been going on about loving a puppy. And, but we said we'd get this puppy for, for her birthday for a surprise. She had no idea it was coming. And uh, I think they came home from school, maybe. We sat them down in the, the seat, and um, we had the puppy hid. 
And we said, right, I've got a surprise. You need to all sit there and you close your eyes. So sat on the sofa, closed their eyes. And you know, it's nearly more exciting for their parents than these kids at this point. Um, closed their eyes, sitting on the sofa. Um, and Nima wouldn't like this. She'd be freaking out. Um, dogs. But sitting on the sofa, closing their eyes. And I brought the wee puppy in, the old tail wagon, trying to hold it and licking away. And I come over and I kind of put up in the other face. Eyes still closed in their face. And they kind of started licking the wee bit in their face. Side note, at that point, we discovered after, they thought it was me licking their face. Yeah, there's so many gross things about that, right? But, but it's like in the face, right? And then we finally said to him, right, okay, right, Georgia, open your eyes. And when she opened her eyes, the joy and the delight and the excitement that come over her face that she could hardly breathe, that she'd seen this puppy. And she was screaming, and it was like, unreal, and she just put her arms out and she just accepted it straight away. Now, in that moment, I could say to you, we could say, George had a choice to make in that moment. Now, I could have said to George, George, now, now do you want this puppy or not? What a, almost a ridiculous question. Why is it a ridiculous question? Because of course she's going to want it. The moment her eyes were open to see that gift, and to see the beauty of that gift and what that gift was, there was only ever going to be one thing that she was going to decide in that moment, and that was to accept that gift. Yes, she could have said, no, I don't want it, and walked off. But the power of that gift, the beauty of that gift was so good that she just accepted it and held it. Now, I am always so dubious about giving human analogies to try and explain um, a difficult spiritual truth. So don't, there's, there's so many holes in an analogy. Please don't think about it and think, oh yeah, and then that dog could have been this, and that dog could have been this, and God's, right? Don't take it any further than that. This is just my, how my finite mind tries to, tries to understand this. When God opens our eyes, when God opens our eyes to see the beauty of His grace in contrast to the ugliness of our sin, when He opens our eyes to see who Jesus actually is, of course we're going to accept it. Because every other decision would appear completely futile and completely ridiculous. It would be ridiculous not to accept this. It would be ridiculous not to accept eternal forgiveness. It would be ridiculous not to accept this grace, this eternal grace. It would be ridiculous not to accept that Jesus has now forgiven us for all of our sins, for all eternity, and will never hold any of it against us again. It would be ridiculous to think that we could just choose to either live in now in condemnation for the rest of our lives, or live now in this place where there is now no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Of course, His grace is beautiful. It's so beautiful, it's irresistible. And so this is where I see these two in some ways coming together. It's all God. God draws. God opens our eyes. It's Him that provides a way for us to be saved. But when He opens our eyes, you could say, yes, we have some free will to choose Him. But it's so irresistible at that point. Now, why? what about the other question that we touched on? Why, why doesn't God draw everyone then? 
Why doesn't God just do this for everyone? If it's such a good thing for people, why doesn't he just save everyone? Why doesn't he draw everyone? For this question, um, I have one answer. And the answer is, I have no idea. I, I have no idea. And that's a hard question to answer like that. Because I believe that God chooses some and doesn't choose others. If I believe he chooses us, I have to believe that he doesn't choose others. And that's hard. Here's, let me read as we're almost finished. Let me read from Romans 10 because I believe we'll just let it speak into this question in, in our mind. So Romans chapter 10 starting at verse 14, says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whom he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the lump, same lump one vessel for honorable use and another dishonorable use? What, is God, what if God, desiring to show his wrath to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles? I don't have all the answers this morning, and none of us do. But we do know a lot of things. Here's what I do know. I do know that the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations, Psalm 100. I do know that his ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts than my thoughts, Isaiah 55. And I know that the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand, Isaiah 14. If you're a believer here this morning, if you're saved by God, you are chosen. God has chosen to set his drawing power on you. He has chosen to draw you lovingly to himself. Worship him in that. Don't just sit questioning. See the glory in that and worship him and glory in the fact that God has set his sights on you and wooed you into himself. Thank him for ever opening your eyes. To open the eyes of your heart and to see the beauty of his grace. Worship him for ever giving you the faith to accept his gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness. If you're not a believer, listen out for God's drawing. Listen out for his calling. Is that what he's doing right now? Do you feel a drawing power of God? Do you feel him moving in your heart? Maybe you can't even explain what it is, but there's something where this is now starting to make you think 
Could that be God drawing you to himself? You may be secretly resisting this, but know that when God draws you to himself, he's not luring you to danger. God doesn't lure us into danger. And Hosea talks about him alluring his bride, right? And that's like he's just like lovingly wooing her to himself, drawing her in. That's God. God doesn't draw us to danger, but he draws us to life, not to death, but to life, eternal life. Accept his call. Believe in him. Believe in him. Accept the gift of salvation. As we, as I've finished, I'm going to just say two things, um, two very quick points about how this impacts our evangelism. Because this may, now, now we may think, well, what's the point in telling people about Jesus then? If he's already called us, already chosen us, him it does the drawing power, why are we bothering even with this? Why are we bothering telling people about Jesus? Well, proclamation of the gospel is God's design, right? It's not ours. He chooses this as a means whereby people come to faith. So he tells us in Romans 10, R.C. Sproul, Sproul puts it like this, God not only foreordains the end of salvation for the elect, he also foreordained the means to that end. God's means to drawing us to himself is proclamation of the gospel. It's us hearing the gospel. And so that's why we do it, because this is the means whereby God draws people to us. This is his design for drawing people to himself. It's part of it. And so we tell people about Jesus. In this passage, Jesus is proclaiming the gospel to thousands of people. And he knows full well that he's going to be left with 12 at the end. Why bother? Why did he bother continually trying to explain and explain something that he knew that most of them won't even get anyway? What's the point? I believe Jesus has given us an example here. Jesus is leading by example. He's proclaiming the gospel to all, right? This general call of the gospel, he's proclaiming it to all. And so we follow in his teaching. And so continue to proclaim the gospel. And finally, don't water down the gospel. I don't know about you, I've read through this passage and I get to the point and I'm like, Jesus, explain it a different way. They're not getting the whole flesh and the blood thing. Let's shelve that for a minute. Can you not now explain it in a different way over here or, or just tell them that, just some, tell them some way different way. They'll, maybe they'll get it then. Here's what I've seen happen. I've seen us in such desperation to get somebody as we're over the line of salvation that we water down the message. Oh, just come to Jesus and, you know, you'll, you'll be great and you don't have any guilt anymore and, and it'll just be Jesus loves you and you can just come to him and just enjoy him and things that are correct. The reason people need to come to Jesus is because they're dead and they're sinful and they need forgiveness. So don't water down the message in order to try and just ease people over the line because here's what I have seen. I have seen people sort of dragged over the line and we've rejoiced. Oh, they're saved. Um, and we never see them again. And I don't want this place to be a place where people are under the illusion that they're saved because of some sort of a poor proclamation of the gospel when actually they're not. And the reason that's so close to my heart is because that was me for many years. 
And I was under the impression that I was saved, but actually I wasn't. I wasn't at all. So let's stick fast with the gospel. Jesus didn't change. He just kept on explaining. Why? Because he knew that the drawing power came from God. It was God who was going to enlighten. It was God who was going to draw them to himself. It is God who saves. And he knew that no one can come to the Father. No one can come to Jesus except the Father draw him. He knew these truths, and so he just faithfully just proclaimed the gospel and left the real work with the Holy Spirit, with God. And so have confidence this morning. There may be, this may raise more questions than answers this morning. I don't know. Um, there's questions in my head as well. But let's realize that the work of salvation is God. He draws. He regenerates. He saves. Let's proclaim the gospel if, with that confidence in our mind that he's the one who saves. Let me pray for you. God, we realize that um, there's just things that we will struggle to understand in Scripture. But God, we make no apology for teaching those things even though we don't fully understand it because we believe that you are a God who is infinitely um, more intelligent and all-knowing than we will ever be. So God, this morning, even as we um, think about your word and what it is you're teaching us this morning, God, will you, through the power of your Spirit, um, yet just help the truths that you want us to hear, help them to sink into our hearts this morning. God, will you teach us? God, will you give us thankful hearts that you have set your drawing power on us from eternity past for no reason of our own, but simply out of your will, from your will. God, I don't know why you chose me, but I am thankful that you did. And so God, help us to ever thank you for, being, for choosing us to be part of your family. And God, I pray for you'll help us as we pray for those whom we love, who um, are still outside of Christ, who still have not accepted this call of salvation. God, we pray that you'll give us faith to keep on praying, knowing that if you've set your drawing power on them, that no amount of sin will ever get in the way of salvation in that person's heart, that you are a God who saves and you're a God who keeps. And so, God, would you help us to be faithful in praying and proclaiming the gospel, knowing that your will will stand, God, that your counsel will stand. God, we pray for those who are listening this morning or watching this morning who are outside of Christ. Holy Spirit, will you please now convict of sin? Will you please open their eyes to see the gospel, to see their sin? And God, I pray that they will accept the call of salvation now in their lives. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. The, this calling of God, this drawing of God, would be meaningless if Jesus hadn't done what he done on the cross. It all hinges on this. It hinges on this. And so no one would 
be able to accept this drawing power. There would be no eternal life open to us if Jesus hadn't come, defeated death on the cross, and rose to life again. And in him we now are chosen. In him, not in a dead Jesus, but in a a living Jesus. In him we have salvation. And so in him we now have everlasting eternal life. And so that's why, this is why we do the communion every week, because this is so pivotal to every single aspect of our teaching. We don't try to shoehorn the, the, the cross into our teaching on Sunday just to make it fit with communion. Everything, every aspect of teaching all centers around the cross. It has to. And so that's why we take these moments to, in particular, remember what Jesus has done for us and glory in his death and resurrection on the cross. And so if you're a believer this morning, then glory in this this morning. Right? This is a celebration. So humbly celebrate this now. If you're a believer then, as the guys are worshiping and leading us in worship, then take the bread, take of the, the juice, and in so doing, remember Jesus' body broken and his blood poured out for us. We are partakers of his, of his body. We are partakers of his blood. And so these are only emblems of it. Jesus was speaking in a spiritual realm in the text here, and we have spiritually done this. We've spiritually been partakers of his flesh and of his blood, and through that we now have forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Jesus. So if you're a believer, do this. If you're not a believer, then accept the call of God in your life. Right? Say, Jesus, I I believe. I believe you're drawing me now. And I accept your draw, and I want your forgiveness, and I am sorry for the wrong that I've done, and I've been resistant in my sin that has meant you had to die, but I accept your calling. I believe, I believe. And when you do that, then this light, this salvation comes into your life, and you too then can take of this communion. So do that. But if you're not a believer, then please don't do it. It's a safeguard for you. Please don't do this. But let's relish in the cross now as we worship him together.